Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you that um, um, uh, that you have written our name in your book, and that uh, Lord, you know, you know the journey, you know the struggle, and you're right there with us. Lord, we do honor mothers this day, and um, and every day, as Jonathan said, and we ask you, O oh God, to be to be glorified in all that we do, in all that we say. And we thank you uh, for this time in your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. And um, while you're doing that, I also would like to just thank all of those who uh, uh, helped to participate in the mother-daughter tea yesterday. It was a fantastic, fantastic time. It really was. I mean, we were just here serving tea and eating, basically. And uh, But... Uh, I want to thank all you guys for that, and also just thank, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, there's this, these things take a lot of, it's not like a men's gig, right, where guys just show up and we just do whatever. Now, the ladies, man, there's a whole lot that goes into it, and uh, uh, Dale, back in the sound, thank you for being here all day yesterday and, and helping out with that, and Hope House guys, thank you, brothers, for coming and, uh, and, and getting the sanctuary back in, uh, back in, in place, and um, uh, yeah, but this was an amazing thing, and so just want to thank all of you for all of your effort to uh, to make it a, a, a blessing to the moms and the daughters yesterday. That was very, very cool. So next week, men's retreat, right? I mean, this this weekend, this this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. So you know, we're looking forward to that. Really are some of the ladies are really looking forward to that. Yeah, I heard some really loud applause in here somewhere. I'm not pointing anywhere in particular, but right. Some loud applause. So we're, we're good, we're good. Um, uh, uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And uh, so we're excited about uh, uh, Family Sunday. Was that last Sunday was Family Sunday? Man, what a blessing that is. And so I had a number of people that just came and just said, hey, that was amazing. Had some visitors that were here going, that's like, I've never seen anything like that. You know, it's like, yeah, well, it's just the body of Christ doing their thing. And, um, and so, you know, that was, um, that, that, was, that was very cool as well. I had one more thing I was going to say, but I forgot. So uh, maybe it'll come to me. No. All right. Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah, what do you think about when you hear the, 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 the name Philadelphia? Uh, Benjamin Franklin, there you go. We'll start with that one, brother, and keep it real. Who, who? Rocky. Okay, you guys know Rocky was not actually a boxer, right? Even though he made the Boxing Hall of Fame, I just have a problem with that. You know, you got to win a boxing match anyway, um, for real. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Philadelphia, bro- the city of brotherly love, right? Anybody here from Philly or Benny? Is, it, is there a lot of love in Philly? No. All right, thank you. Just want to make sure, just want to make sure. You were born in Philly? Okay, welcome. Welcome to the West. <laughs> Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love, um, maybe. This letter, these, these letters that we've been looking at are letters uh, from the Lord Jesus. The God gave them to the Lord Jesus who gave them to the messenger, which could be the elder, it could be the angel, it could be some messenger that delivered these to uh, maybe the elders or the pastors, the leaders, the bishops in the churches that were given to the people. They were all located within the Roman province of Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And as we've been saying, the, 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 the list of the cities, as we go down the list, 
uh, in a counterclockwise uh, or a, a clockwise fashion. It goes all the way down, and so it would make a natural route to take this letter. And it wasn't just like the letter to Philadelphia wasn't the only thing they got. They got the whole letter of Revelation, John's Revelation, uh, okay? And so, so don't think of it as just that little bitty part was all they got. No, they got the whole thing, and it made its way all the way through to these seven churches, to Philadelphia, and then next week, uh, or, or two weeks, on to Laodicea, which reminds me of what I'm going to say. You do not want to miss next Sunday. If you're not at the men's retreat, you do not want to miss next Sunday. You do not. You do not. We have a special guest speaker uh, who will be here, and it will be amazing. That's all I'm going to tell you. You'll have to pray from there, okay? So, um, uh, the city of Philadelphia was founded by Atlas, Atlas II Philadelphus, which was known, he was known for his love for his brother. Barclay says this, Philadelphia had been built with the deliberate intention that it might become a missionary city. Beyond Philadelphia lay the wilds of Phrygia and the barbarous tribes. And it was intended that the function of Philadelphia should be to spread the Greek language and the Greek culture or the Greek way of life. Uh, it was planted, at, if you would, to be a missionary to spread Greek civilization throughout the regions beyond. Keep that in mind because that's important when the Lord speaks to these churches, he speaks to things that are kind of already in their DNA with what he has for them. So keep that one point in mind, okay? He also says that it was a very strategic city. Philadelphia commanded one of the greatest highways in the world, the highway which led from Europe, um, uh, to, the, uh, 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 from Europe to the east. And Philadelphia was the gateway to another continent. In fact, it had the name or the title of being the gateway to the east. So again, a very strategic city. Well, not only that, it was a very religious city. Lots of grapevines in the city of Philadelphia. And when you have grapevines, you have what? Wine. Yeah, no one said grape juice, right. You know, you have wine. And it was the center of worship of Dionysus or Dionysus, who was the goddess of wine or the god of wine and fertility. That's important. Philadelphia, Barclay again says, has so many gods and so many temples that sometimes it was called Little Athens. To walk through its temple-scattered streets was to be reminded of Athens, the center of worship of the Olympian gods. So it was a strategic city, it was a religious city, and it was a shaken city. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, tremors happened frequently in this area of Asia Minor. And uh, sometimes the tremors uh, were, were so bad that people would leave the city and, and to the outskirts and find shelter. But in 70 A.D., and there was an earthquake that leveled the city of Sardis, which is one of the uh, cities that we looked at previously, and almost totally destroyed the city of Philadelphia. And so a lot of people literally moved out of the city and said, you know, if we're going to be in the midst of, of all these tremors and these major earthquakes, we are not living in the city. At least we'll be in the country and we got a shot at surviving. It was rebuilt uh, after that earthquake and it became a prominent city and there was a prominent church there at this time. And so, first of all, it's a city to commend. Remember in each of these letters, or uh, there's, there's things that the Lord wants to say to the church. 
uh, that are individual things, and they're general things for us uh, because they do apply to us, but these are, these are specific, specific things to, to commend. Uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, the city of Sardis, they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Uh, and that was the first city that we've looked at, which the Lord had nothing good to say about that church. Nothing good to say. Uh, well, you know, and, and we talked about the fact that there are no perfect churches, right? I mean, there are not. There are people who will go from church to church to church looking for an experience or looking for the perfect church or maybe just looking for their needs to be met, which isn't a bad place to start, uh, but you have to move beyond your needs being met and being willing to meet the needs of others, and uh, that's when you really can move into, into, into uh, church life. Well, anyway, there are no such things as perfect churches. And, you know, you've probably heard this before, that uh, oftentimes church bulletins uh, don't always kind of turn out, you know, correct. And sometimes there's little things that are mistakes and they're kind of funny. And so here's a list of some church, actual church bulletins, okay, that I, that I got a hold of. One church bulletin said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. How about this one? Thursday night will be a potluck supper, prayer, and medication to follow. (laughs) Remember uh, the many that are sick of our community uh, and church. Remember those who are sick of this place. Uh, For for those who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. (laughs) uh, the rosebud on the altar this morning is to announce the birth of David Allen Belshar, the sin of Reverend and Mrs. Belshar. <laughs> you guys like this stuff, huh? All right, this afternoon there will be a meeting at, in the south and north ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. Do we... And lastly, this is a pretty good one right here. Uh, at, this, at this evening's service, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. That's great. That's funny. Isn't that great? Uh, well, the Church of Philadelphia was not a perfect church, but it was a good church. It was a good church. It was. For all the right reasons, not the reasons you might think. I mean, what makes a church a good church? Well, it depends on who you talk to, because it depends on what people are looking for. But what does the Lord say makes a good church? Oh, we might want to take note of that. We might want to take note of that. All right, here we go. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, this is uh, the Church of Philadelphia, verse 7 through 13, then we'll chop it up. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. How's that for an uh, an introduction? Woo! Verse 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. 
Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and uh, my new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Amen. The presentation, this is how the Lord represents himself to this particular church. In verse 7, he says, um, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David. Jesus speaking of himself as holy and true. Now, if you were, if you were in Philadelphia and you were listening to this and you were most probably Jewish, you would get exactly what he meant by being holy, by that. That was not just something that was given that, that you would say about any... That was attributed, the holiness that they're speaking about was attributed to God. And, and God alone is holy. And Jesus says, no, I, I am the holy one because I am one with the Lord. Um, uh, God would often introduce himself as the holy one of Israel or the one who is holy. That's a name given uh, to God that Jesus uses about himself. Now, on another note, but aren't we holy as well? And aren't we supposed to be living holy lives? Shouldn't there be a distinction in our lives so that people uh, would know that we are different because of our beliefs, because we believe in Jesus? Yes. Uh, the scripture says, be holy as your heavenly Father uh, is holy. Father in heaven. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace, peace with all peoples and holiness without which no one will see God. And so we too are holy positionally in the Lord. He looks at us and sees us as holy. And that happened at salvation. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Lord looked at you as one of his holy ones. But we are not holy in the sense that Jesus was because Jesus is holy in the absolute sense. We are not. Now we're positionally holy, but we're not holy in the absolute sense. And to be holy simply means to be set apart to be distinguished. God, God is the ultimate in what it means to be holy. He is transcendent from His creation. He is, he is other than... There were times when Jesus would show His holiness and the disciples' only response... Peter one time said, you know, depart from me, I'm a wicked man. I mean, they, 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 they came across the holiness of God, of Jesus. And, and, and so in that sense, He is absolutely holy. Now, in our lives, we are called to live holy lives on a daily basis. And that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to cause us to grow in our holiness every day. So positionally, we are holy before the Lord, and we are striving and pursuing holiness every day. It's like forgiveness. Positionally, all of our sins are forgiven. And we ask for forgiveness every day, right? So there's a positional point, and then there's a daily life that works it out. So he is the Holy One, and he is true, true. He's the truth, not just a truth. He is the truth. 
Big difference. There are certain basketball athletic people, and they, uh, one guy in particular plays for Brooklyn, but never mind, and, and he calls himself the truth. I hate that. It's like, if I ever see him, I'll say, you know, you are not the truth. You know that, right? I'm, it's a nickname. I mean, there's only one who, I just, I don't know. I, that just bothers me. Like, how could you even take that nickname? Yeah, man, I'm the truth. No, you're not. You're a lie. You're not even getting past Miami, but that's another thing. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. True, and it's literally genuine and authentic, not fake. That's what that means. Genuine, authentic. See, Jesus is the truth. Authentic. Like when we, when we used to go to Hong Kong and do our basketball camps, you know, we're walking down the streets of Hong Kong, you get bombarded by people who, who go, copy watch, copy watch, copy watch. You know, they want to sell you some fake Rolex. Call it a Folex, right? It's, a, it's not real. You know, and people that have Rolexes know it when they see it. No one else does, but who cares? And one time I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just see what they have. I didn't buy one, but I just, and, you know, it's, I said, okay, man, show me your copy watch, right? Oh, he's taking me down some back alley, up some stairs. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, man. No, that's as far as I'm going, man. I'm not trying to get taken out in Hong Kong over a Folex, right? It's not even real, <laughs> you know. Anyway, genuine. To the Corinthians, uh, Paul says, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes to you preaches another Jesus whom we, we have not preached, you may well put up with it. See, it's important to have the right Jesus. So you can ask somebody, do you believe in Jesus? And they may go, oh, absolutely, I believe in Jesus. Okay, next question, which Jesus do you believe in? What? Because there's a lot of Jesuses out there. No, there's a lot of beliefs about who Jesus is. And you have to be sure that you have the right Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because there's a lot of fake ones, unauthentic ones. New Agers claim, for example, that Jesus is not the only Christ. Jesus is one of several great teachers who obtained the Christ spirit self-actualization of one's deity. As Walsh puts it, a New Ager, many have achieved such consciousness, many have been Christed, not just Jesus of Nazareth. And so Deepak Chopra, who has become sort of a New Age guru here in America, and his books are wildly popular, uh, he said this, I want to offer the possibility that Jesus was truly, as he proclaimed, a Savior, not the Savior, not the one and only Son of God. Rather, Jesus embodied the highest level of enlightenment. He spent his brief adult life describing it, teaching it, and passing it on to future generations, he said. Jesus intended to save the world by showing others the path of God consciousness. In other words, we can all obtain to a God consciousness just like Jesus. So when I say that Jesus is holy in the absolute sense, Deepak Chopra would say, no, he's not because there are others who can attain to that level of holiness. When you see him face to face, you can tell him that. When you find out that you're not, and he is, and was, and always will be. 
Some New Agers also claim that the church has corrupted the teachings of Jesus. They believe that Jesus traveled to India and studied Hinduism before beginning his public ministry. He was rejected and crucified not to save the world of the sins, but because of uh, his Hindu teachings. Which Jesus are we talking about here? William White was the editor of a newspaper, and as the editor, he would receive articles written by people in the community that submitted uh, uh, that were submitted to the newspaper to be published. And oftentimes, uh, either uh, he would receive so many articles he'd have to send them back, or maybe the context was such that you know he just couldn't use it. You know, kind of like I'm sorry, rejection. Uh, uh, send me something next month, whatever. Uh, and on one occasion, when one lady submitted her article, he wrote back. Uh, She wrote back a scathing letter saying this, Sir, uh, you sent back a story of mine, and I know that you didn't even read it because as, as, as a test, I pasted together pages 19 and 20. And the manuscript came back to me with the pages still stuck together. So I know that you, sir, are a fraud and that you uh, turned down articles without even reading them. Well, the editor wrote back this reply, Madam, at breakfast, when I eat an egg... I don't have to eat it all to determine if it's bad. Now, you can apply that to other belief systems about Jesus. When you encounter someone of some different faith or some different belief system, you can cut cut the fat and get right to the meat, as a friend of mine always says. And you could say, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? Why did he come is he the Messiah? Is he the only way to God? Is he the... Now, you could talk about all kinds... You could talk about the source of beliefs. You could talk about uh, the historicity of their prophets or their writers. You could talk about... Just get right down. Some, tell me this question. Who is Jesus? And they may say, we believe that Jesus is the Savior. Okay, do you, you can go from there, savior of whom? Everybody, savior of certain people. Is he just a prophet? Is, oh, you can go right to that. Is he the Holy One of Israel? Is he God? Oh, no, 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 we don't believe. Okay, okay. But Jesus is holy and true. He's authentic. You can, you, can trust, you, you can trust in Jesus because he's not fake or phony or the figment of someone's imagination. He's, he's, he's the real deal. He, he, is, he is the truth. He is the truth. And he has the key of David. He has the key of David. What do keys represent? Responsibility? The more keys you have, the more responsibility you have. That's why the janitor is the most important guy in the whole place. He can one with all the keys. What else does it represent? Access. Open doors. Ownership. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, those are really good answers. Keys. I try not to have too many keys because then I have more responsibility. Amen. Someone says, Pastor Richie, you have a key to that safe? I go, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, sir. <laughs> Don't want one. Ain't got one. Don't even know the combination. It's safe not having too many keys. But the Lord Jesus has the key of David. Ooh, that's got to be cool, 
right? Jesus, in Revelation 1.8, says he has the keys of Hades and death. The keys of hell and death. Uh, he has authority both in heaven and on earth. And de Jesus delegates his authority to whomever he wants to. Matthew 16.19 says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's you. That's you. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why are you able to do that? Because you have authority here on earth that's been given to you by the Lord. So when you say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're speaking authoritat authoritatively because it's been given to you by the Lord. So Jesus has power, and he has authority, and he has sovereignty. So he has ability to open doors that no one can open. And he has ability to close doors that no one can close. And when he opens a door, no one can close it. And when he closes the door, no one can open it. That's pretty cool. Opportunity for ministry. Typically, when you read in the New Testament about open doors, that means ministry. Acts 14, 27 says, when they had arrived and, and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 8, 9, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective service has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Boy, those two go together, by the way, open doors and adversaries. Christ is the head of the church, and it's he who determines where and when his saints will, will serve. He has the, the keys. Uh, he has the keys of David. Verse 8, here's the commendation to, <clears throat> to this church. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. There's that phraseology again. Which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphia is a happening church now, but it's not happening the way that we think a happening church should be, Right? But this is what Jesus says. This is that these people are rocking and rolling for me. First, he says, I know your deeds, which are similar to what he said to all the other churches. And then he says that I've placed before you an open door. So there must be some kind of evangelical opportunity that he's opened up for them. Remember that this city was planted to, be in a, to evangelize the world in the Greek way of thinking. So they already had that evangelistic seed in their DNA. And so now the Lord, they come to know the Lord. and They're not preaching uh, 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 Hellenism anymore or, or the Greek culture. They're preaching the gospel. And he says, I've opened up a door for you to go now and preach the gospel because, you know, you have that in your heart anyway. And God does that. He takes us from those things that we might be familiar with and he redeems those things. And sometimes he sends you right back into that situation. But now with a different attitude. As a, as a light and a, and a torch for him. A man who had been touched by Jesus came to Spurgeon and asked him how he can win others to Christ. Spurgeon asked him, what are you and what do you do? And the man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. And then Spurgeon said, is the man who shovels coal in your train a Christian? He says, I don't know. Spurgeon said, go back, find out and start with him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Now, why did he say he would open up this door for them? Why? Because you have little power. Wait a minute. No. God, if you're going to open up a door for somebody, they better have strong, mighty power. He says, no, no, no. See, I'm opening up a door of opportunity because you have little power. Uh, that, no, 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 no. We need strong, mighty people to go through these doors. And the Lord says, no, you don't. I need people with little power. Those who are poor in spirit. 
may not be a powerful church, but they're a faithful church. Oh, they may not be the biggest church on the block, but they're a faithful church. Wow. Because they were weak, but the Lord was strong. You know, Paul the Apostle ministered that way too. Did you know that? Do you know that arguably one of the most powerful men in the New Testament was one of the weakest men? You know that, right? I mean, we don't get that in our culture because we strength, power, might. Well, uh-uh. Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 8 through 10 says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Wait, can we... Do you know Paul the Apostle, the Lord told Paul the Apostle, my power works best in weakness. That's a hard one. Weakness. No, 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 he's, no, weakness. So now I am glad uh, to boast about my weaknesses. I mean, who does that? I mean, who boasts in their weaknesses? Paul the Apostle. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Yeah, yeah. There's a young girl in the 1500s, Teresa de Jesus. She became known as St. Teresa, and she had it in her heart to build an entire orphanage. The only problem, she only had three shillings. But she said that God had put her in her heart, and she said, I'm going to build an orphanage. People would laugh at her and mock her and say, what could you do with three shillings towards building an orphanage? This is what she said. Teresa, with three shillings, can do nothing. But with three shillings and with God to help her, there's nothing that Teresa cannot do. She gets it. So I'm going to use you in an open door because you have little power and because you've kept my word. You know, what a delight. What a thought. You know, you're visiting, you're visiting Philadelphia. Hey, listen, man, you got to go to church there. Now, let me just tell you, when you go to Philadelphia, you're going to get the word of God, man. Okay, these people, they are handling the word of God. And you go to that church, man, you go, you find yourself a, a house group, you get involved, and you're going to get the word. You're not going to get philosophy. You're not going to get pop culture. Uh, some, you're going to get the pure, unadulterated word of God. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 1.14, guard and keep with the greatest care the precious and excellently adapted truth which has been entrusted to you by the help of the Holy Spirit who makes his home in us. Paul told Timothy as he was nearing the end of his life, guard and keep with the greatest care the word of God. You have to guard the word. You have to guard it in your own heart, right? You have to you have to protect the word. Not that we have to fight for the word, but we have to protect it. We have to guard it because there's all kinds of things pulling against it. Even things within the body of Christ that pull against the word of God. Point in case. David Hazelton. Hope I'm saying that right. He is the lead singer for a very popular Christian band called Jars of Clay. You know the group. This is what he said. He said, I never like the phrase, Scripture clearly says blank about. April 22nd, he tweeted, I never liked that. He says, because most people read and interpret Scripture wrong. I don't think Scripture clearly states much of anything regarding morality. (gasps) 
Okay. We read on. I think the vast interpretation has left room for people to deal inhumanely and unlovingly toward others that don't fit their guidelines. It is perhaps less important, listen to this, it is perhaps less important to know what is right and wrong, morally speaking, than to know how to act toward those we consider wrong. That's what he suggested. Okay, with all due respect, you're wrong. (laughs) I think the Bible has a lot to say about morality. And the problem we have in our culture is because people want to dumb down the Word of God and they want to say that's not what it says. I mean, I saw a video clip uh, of someone who, was a, who, was, who has a doctorate degree in Old Testament Hebrew arguing with a reporter about whether or not Leviticus says homosexuality is wrong. And he says, man, I have a doctorate degree in Old Testament theology and in, in, in Hebrew literature. Man, don't talk to me about what Leviticus says. And this guy's a reporter. And he's arguing with him. And the... The Bible doesn't say anything clearly about morality. Well, of course, you, hey, you got to guard the Word of God. Someone reads that and go, and see, the problem with this is there's multitudes, in particular, of young people that believe just what he said. The Bible doesn't speak about morality, it speaks about how you treat others. That how you treat others is more important than morality. Second Timothy 4, Paul the Apostle said, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. I have major problems. Major problems. When how we treat one another, which is important, trumps what God's Word says. God's Word says this is wrong. No, it doesn't. We should treat them with love. Of course we should treat them with love. God's Word says it's wrong. Don't take one side. Take both sides. We love you. We care about you. You're wrong. It's sinful. It drives me crazy when a name... Like Jason Collins, who was the first NBA player who was actually retired, but now he's playing again, came out of the closet, and he's celebrated like a hero. And he's placed, and his name is put in the same category as like Jesse Owens, you know, Muhammad Ali, which whatever you believe about him, he didn't want to go to war, and so he had a religious objection, went to jail instead. Okay, uh, uh, these, 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 these people, and, and then here's, here's this name, and it's like, no, we're, we're, we're placing someone who has come out of the closet and is celebrating his homosexuality in the same breath as Jesse Owens? Who went to Berlin and won, what, four gold medals before World War II? When, when Hitler wanted to prove that the Aryan race was better and the dominant than... Oh, it 
drives me insane when I hear that. But we need to treat them right. Of course we do. We treat them with love. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean I have to say, well, we'll have to water down the Word of God. Right? Folks, we have to stand up. We can stand up and speak the truth. This is what God's Word says. Don't hate me because this is what it says. Ah, we got to move on. These people have not denied his name. They, they've, they've, they've held, they, they've kept the word. They've not denied his name. To so the church of Pergamum, he says, you are clinging to and holding fast my name. Here you've not denied my name. To keep his word and not deny his name go together. Peter denied Jesus' name three times. We keep his name by living out this life. Remember that these folks had to confess Caesar as Lord once a year, and they did not deny his name. Barnhouse said this, the church of Philadelphia is commended for keeping the word of the Lord and not denying his name. Success in Christian work is not measured by any other standard of achievement. It is not the rise in ecclesiastical position. It's not the number of new buildings which have been built through a man's ministry. It's not the crowds that flock to listen to any human voice. Any of these things are frequently used as yardsticks of success, but they are earthly and not heavenly measures. I say amen to that. Amen to that. Okay, so verse 9, let's move on. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. So three promises. First of all, the Lord says, I'll take care of your enemies. He is not making a general attack against Judaism. But there are folk uh, uh, that spoke of these believers as not being true Jews. And see, here's the thing. The Jews had a, a legal exemption from Caesar worship. The Jews had a legal exemption from stating Caesar is Lord. Okay? And so these, these people who were saying they were Jewish and they were of the synagogue, so these Christians got kicked out of the synagogue, and then these Jews were going to the Romans saying, they're not true Jews. Just ask them if Caesar is Lord. See, we don't have to do that, but ask them, because they're not true Jews. And then they would stay, see, and persecution would break out. <clears throat> and he says, I'll cause them to bow down at your feet. Hey, I'll take care of your enemies. Jesus promises he will vindicate his people and make sure their persecutors know that they're wrong. God is the judge. Let him vindicate you. God is the judge. If you try to vindicate you, he might just let you. Let him. And he says, they will know that I've loved you. How will they know that? Because he is the judge and he is the one that will vindicate. Verse 10. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So, uh, now, first of all, I will take care of your enemies. Secondly, I will keep you from the hour of testing. What is that? Probably the great tribulation that we'll read about later in, in, in Revelation. Because it says it will come upon the whole earth to test those who live upon the earth. And those who live upon the earth, the context of that are those who don't believe in Jesus. Okay, so, that, so I'm going to... I'm going to take care of your enemies, and I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. Now, here's the challenge in verse 11. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. There's that word again. In order that no one take your crown. Don't let anyone rob you of the victor's crown that is right there for you. Hold fast 
Never, Havner said this, never forget that the man most likely to steal your crown is yourself. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. You are in no greater danger from anyone or anything than from yourself. So let Christ coming motivate you to endure. Hold fast. Hang on. Because the third promise is that God is going to honor them. Look at verse 12. Now remember the context of where we are. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will go out from, uh, he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, uh, uh, and my new name. Ah, okay, the promise, God will honor them. What great news to those who lived in this area of constant earthquakes. Did you get that? You will be a pillar in the house of God. Why were they fleeing the city? Because of the constant earthquakes and the danger in the city. Some people refused to move back, so they're living out in the suburbs now. There's an entire community outside the city living in fear I'm not, and, and he's saying, you know what? You come on in and you'll be a pillar in my house. There will be no need to go in and go out in my house because there will be no earthquake. There's stability there. And I'm going to honor you. Ancient cities often honor the leaders there by setting up pillars with their names inscribed on them. So they got that. But his pillars are not pillars of stone, but faithful people. Is that cool? That must have been very encouraging to them to say, wow, just imagine. No more running in and out. No more fear of watching everything get destroyed or fear for our own lives. Wow. And so the church today is like Philly, Philadelphia. The church today, we today are like Philadelphia. God has set before us many open doors of opportunity. Um, Warren Worsby says this, and I close with this. If he opens the door, we must work. If he shuts the doors, we must wait. Above all, we must be faithful to him and see the opportunities, not the obstacles. If we miss our opportunities, we lose our rewards or our crowns And this means being ashamed before him when he comes. 1 John 2.28 says this, And now, little children, abide, live, remain permanently in him, so that when he is made visible, we may have and enjoy perfect confidence, boldness, or assurance, and not be ashamed and shrink from him at his coming. Could you imagine losing crowns? Could you imagine being ashamed at his coming? Wow. Well, that's the, that's the, uh, the word for this church here. Um, I'll make you a, temp- a pillar in the temple of my God. You'll not go out from it anymore. I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, 
and my new name. Apparently, the Lord gets a new name, too. And he's going to write that name. That's, that's going to be cool. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a good word, huh? Nothing bad about Philadelphia. But the Lord wasn't measuring it the way we measure it. May we be faithful in those things. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we are not <clears throat> special people because we think we are. We have intrinsic value because you say we do and because we are created in your image and in your likeness. Your word tells us that, Lord. We didn't figure that out. We don't, we don't consider ourselves gods. We don't consider ourselves as those who have reached a higher level of consciousness, Christ-like consciousness. No, sir. Lord, we are created for your glory. There is none like you. We are honored to serve you and to be a part of your kingdom. You are the king, and we are your people. And Lord, if it was not for your grace and your mercy and your Holy Spirit pulling us, urging us, calling us, we would not be where we are in you. And so, Lord, we remain in you by your grace and by your strength. Your word says it's not by might and not by power, but by your spirit. And Lord, that's how we want to walk every day. And anyone here that maybe isn't a believer in Jesus, that today might be the day that you might respond to the message of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, he is a savior he is the Lord, and I want him to be my Lord. It might be a turning in your heart. There's something deep within you that knows that you're not right with God, but you want that. And if that's where you are and you agree with God's word, God's spirit is calling you, and you want to agree and acknowledge that and confess your sin before a holy, true, all-knowing God, then maybe today is your day. And if that's you, would you raise your hand that we would pray with you? Anyone at all who would say, yes, Jesus, I need that. I need that. I'm, I'm acknowledging that you are who your book says that you are. Anyone at all who has, you've never done that before, I just want to give you that opportunity. Anybody? Anyone at all? Okay. Amen. Sister, you're acknowledging, you're confessing, you're saying, yes, God, I acknowledge that. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for... for life in you. We thank you that we uh, uh, can have uh, eternal life in you. We thank you that our sins are forgiven. And Lord, we thank you that um, <clears throat> there's precious promises that await us today and tomorrow. Oh, would you bless your people today? Would you, would you particularly pour out on mothers in this place? Uh, as someone once said that Mother's Day is not a real happy day for me, Lord. That you would sh shed your love on those moms that need an extra dose. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen and amen. Hey, let me just tell you, uh, in the few remaining moments I have, let me just tell you just a quick building update situation. Pray for us. We're looking for office space. We've got a couple different places we're settling in on, and uh, we should know maybe in the next week, week and a half, uh, exactly where our offices will be. 
And, uh, you know, I've heard all kinds of stories about somebody said we got kicked out of this place. Someone said that, uh, you know, I mean, I've just heard all kinds of things. You know what? Here's in the short run. We're here. We're here. We'll be here every Sunday. We'll continue to meet here. And I promise you that if that changes, you'll be the first ones to know. But I want to say this. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Give me an example. Give me an example. Quick example. We had last weekend a baptismal. It was awesome. Did you have that picture of the baptismal? I think the guys that we're giving the certificates to will be next service. I I emailed it to you, Lawrence. But yeah, check that out. Is that fun? Uh, That was a blast. Look. Now, you see me walking on water there, so, uh, and then uh, other brother's walking too, and he's cannonballing, but uh, that, that's like, that's as close as I'll get right there. Uh, but it was a blast, and we love baptisms, but you know what? Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Do you know what's underneath here? Huh? A bathtub. No, ma'am. A hole. There's a hole right here with faucets that go to it. This was supposed to be the baptismal. Get budget cuts. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But you know what? Here, when we get our own place, we got to have a baptismal. What are we going to do when it's 22 degrees outside and someone comes to Christ? Take them to the lake. No, sir. You take them to the lake. We give you authority to baptize them in Jesus' name. We'll send them a certificate. You take the picture, Shelly. Right? Yo. I mean, like, we gotta have, that's, we got to have our own place. We've got to have our own baptismal. That's just one small thing that's important. That's an important thing that we got to have, okay? So I want to encourage you to keep giving to our building fund because we're moving on in that. But we got to get out of here, for crying out loud. we got to get out of here. And you know what? We're family, and we got to do it all together. Amen? Amen. So any questions, come see me. If you need prayer for anything, please make your way up. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, Brother Dale...